Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I've gone completely paperless apart, yeah, from, my, isn't it apart from my share buying. And <laughs> <laughs> I had this pile of paperwork there this yeah. morning. I just, oh God, when is it going to end? I mean... <laughs> You know, you go paperless and then you, you know, you opt for email communications and then they send you a letter to confirm that you've opted for crazy? email communications. Yeah. I Isn't know. it crazy? Yeah, yeah. It's like every time I do a trade, which isn't that often, I get a thousand notices and things yeah. from this and that. And just, I don't. And then as you say, the irony is, is you, you say, I want electronic communications mm. and they send you a letter saying, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shares for beginners. Phil Muscatello and FinPods are authorised reps of Money Sherpa. The information in this podcast is general in nature and doesn't take into account your personal situation. Once it's on the share market and we have this daily quoted price and these charts, all of that goes out the window. And all we care about is that everyone's going to drive electric cars, so I'm buying lithium because Gary at the pub last night said that that's the future. And like, you would never buy a business like that. It's like, oh, it's okay because I'm just buying $2,000 worth of shit. It's, it's pure madness. But so think like a business person and don't imagine, I was going to say imagine you're buying a company. You are, you're literally buying, you're just buying it in, in small pieces. Think that way and you'll avoid a huge amount of error. G'day and welcome back to Shares for Beginners. I'm Phil Muscatello. Today we're delving into metrics, the kind of numbers that sometimes make our beginner eyes glaze over when we look to value companies on the ASX. Joining me today is Andrew Page from Strawman. G'day, Andrew. G'day, Phil. Welcome back. It's been a long time. Yeah, it's always <laughs> always fun. So yeah. yeah, thanks for having me. Look, I just before we started, I just wanted to mention a friend of mine, Jed. Now, uh-huh. um, uh, I was walking through the streets of Redfern and Jed was coming towards me and he said, Phil, I've just been listening to you. I love the podcast. And yeah, because I told him about it. But now Jed, Jed was the proprietor of one of Sydney's premier dive bars, the oh, dock. Cool. And I'd recommend the dock anyone, right. to anyone who wants a fun night, especially Monday nights on Sea Shanty Night. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so Jed's sold his share in um, the dock now and uh-huh. he's got himself a real job and he's got a baby coming along in a year's time and he's starting his investments. So I just wanted to say, hi, Jed, thanks for listening and good luck with everything. Best of luck with it all. It's a journey. <laughs> <laughs> it sure is. I'm sure you two are of similar ages, but uh, yeah. maybe you're just a little bit further down the journey than he is. Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, just jumping into uh, investing and uh, fatherhood, that's, you know, it's two big things to bite. <laughs> yeah, but, but as as I said to him, just, you know, start small, um, you know. Like with a baby. Yeah, like with a baby. <laughs> start small. <laughs> Speaking of which, Baby Giants. Tell us about the podcast. How's that going? Yeah, so it's a, a pod I do once a week with Claude Walker from A Rich Life and Matt Joss from Maven Funds. And it's just a bit of a chat. We focus on small cap kind mm-hmm. of stocks. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's the area that you all like to work in, isn't it? Yeah, we yeah. do. And it's just a, a bit of fun and 
I, I think even if it wasn't a podcast, we'd probably just get together and talk about that stuff anyway. In fact, that was probably the genesis of it. It's like, yeah, well, it's, yeah. why don't we just record this? And yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. It's, it's not a commercial endeavor, but it is a bit of fun. And yeah, hopefully people enjoy it. So on this podcast, we've covered the PE ratio before with Rudy from FN Arena on episode 188. So oh, Rudy's great. Yeah, he is. Yeah. He's a great character, isn't yeah. he? I'm going to try and get him back on again. And um, this is a little refresher now. So let's just quickly just cover, we, not in incredible detail, but how is the PE ratio worked out? It's actually given away in the name, mm. uh, the PE. The P is the price and the E is the earnings. Mm -hmm. So it's the uh, price over the earnings and it's- Like the, the price is the share price. The sh that, sorry, the, the share that, price. That, yep. that particular time. Well, yep. you tend to do it in share price terms. So the share price, if you're using the share price, you need to make sure that the earnings you're using is the per share earnings. Mm -hmm. Otherwise it's the market cap divided by the total net profit. It's the same thing. It's just whether or not yeah. you work it out on a, on a per share basis. It's at once, I mean, it's very popular. It's at once quite powerful, but full of pitfalls. Mm -hmm. Well, um, that's what Rudy pointed out to, you know, different companies, different industries um, have different PE ratios applied to them as that metric, don't they? Yeah. It, it's one of those things. I think every investor needs to go through the journey of understanding what it is, how you might use it, the limitations. It becomes a very useful heuristic once you've confident of certain things. If you're just going to apply it blindly, it's full of pitfalls, mm. you know? So Phil, there's a stock with a P of eight. Um, well, it sounds cheap. Yeah, um, because uh, the lower the number that possibly is better, it, is the better number. Actually, you know, the, way to, the best way to think about it is just to invert it. So mm. it's all consistent mathematically. So rather than the PE, we could talk about what's called the earnings yield. Mm. So instead of price divided by earnings, it's earnings divided by price. Mm. Property investors will get this. It's, yeah. like, it's like the yield, you mm -hmm. know? So it's like for I'm paying a dollar per share and for every share, the company is earning 10 cents in, in profit. So it's a 10% return. Mm. Now, you've got to be careful with it. Not to you, because mm -hmm. companies tend to keep some of the money that yeah. they make. Yeah. Uh, and they, and not... we'll get into why they might do that, actually. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, but it is, it is, if you think about it in those terms, and you were running a business, well, what earnings yield would you want? And this is where the PE is different from some metrics, where it's, there's not a number that's too high. Mm. Sometimes it's a bit too high, too low. You want that Goldilocks and PEs, you want to be as low as possible. Mm. And, the, and the, the inverse, the earnings yield, you want to be as high as possible. You've got a business that earns a 12% earnings yield, mine earns a 6%. Yours is mm. more profitable, mm. you know? Um, so I think, I think that, is, that is a really good way to, to, to think about it. And this is separate from the dividend, isn't it? The dividend is only part of the earnings, isn't it? And well, so so yeah. so the, the the company pays the dividend out of its earnings, mm. and mm. Um, so you might, in my example, I've earned ten cents per share. I might pay a five cent dividend. So the company is keeping five cents, mm -hmm. and they're paying out to you five cents. So your dividend yield is five percent. Yes. I mean, all of these, whether it's the PE, the dividend yield, the earnings yield, any kind of, the, they're all trying to benchmark something to relate one aspect of a company to another part of a company because mm. it's just useless to say phil i've got a company that makes a million dollars a year mm. maybe that's good if i'm running a lemonade stand but if i'm running you know bhp it's awful <laughs> you know you've you got to standardize these yeah, kinds of, and that's yeah. what metrics are trying to do mm. um and, and and the pe ratio as well is one, uh, it standardizes within an industry, doesn't it? Rather than you don't, you don't look at a, a mining stock PE as opposed to a bank stock P 
PE. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. I, well, it's um, the wrinkle in all of this, if, mm. if that's what you want to call it, is that, look, let's start at the beginning. So the, the long, long-term average for the market tends to be, depending on which study you want to use, around sort of 15, 16, 17. Mm. That's for the US market as well. And for ours, it's been a bit distorted in this era of ultra low interest rates that mm-hmm. we're sort of leaving now but that's that's a, <laughs> and a, dealing with about what it is and so you'll you'll say that well you know on a very big arc anything below that is quote unquote cheap anything above that is expensive hmm. so it's not so much i mean at the end of the day it doesn't really matter what the industry or the business model is it's just these are economic machines and i want the most efficient machine yeah. but you're right in the sense that it will differ within sectors because there are different growth outlooks within each sector. So mm-hmm. let's say that you're a mining company and the, it turns out that the mining PEs are pretty low at the moment. You, well, you don't want to compare it with the average PEs you're seeing in the tech sector or whatever. And it might be because everyone expects earnings to fall because there's some point in the commodity cycle or something like that. So yeah, it's not yeah. that you're right. I think when when you're trying to benchmark, look at as similar a company or similar a sector as you can. It is it is more relevant. But the key thing is the growth. There are mm. you can have a company on a PE of a hundred that is quote unquote cheaper than a company that's on a PE of five. Mm. Now, how can that be? You know, one has got a very low earnings yield if we want to flip it over again. One's got a pretty decent one. The difference is, is that the one with a P of 100, maybe it's tripling its profit each year. Mm. It's relatively small company. You know, it's Apple in the early days or Amazon in the early days. So it's looking at future growth? Is that what's happening? Well, imagine if I said to you, I've got two businesses to sell you. One's a P of five, one's a P of 100. Mm -hmm. And you go, well, okay, well, the P of five sounds better. But then when you started doing your due diligence, you realize I'm trying to sell you a lemon here that's probably going out of business. Yeah. In which case, it's an awful, like this is the other problem with PE, well not problem, but one thing you've got to be aware of is they're generally backward looking. So I take last year's earnings Mm. per share. PE might be five on that basis, but if earnings are going to drop 50% this year and then the year after and then the year after, Mm. you know, it might not actually be that great a deal. The one on a hundred, maybe that's going to be a thousand times bigger in, in 10 years time, in which mm. case it's the it's the bargain of the century. Mm. So I think that's for me is the real lens to evaluate a PE is how does it contrast with the expected growth rate? And this mm. is where you might want to get into what's called the PEG ratio, which uses mm. Mm. PEs and divides by growth rates. It's it's beyond the scope of this discussion. No, where we've covered the PEG ratio on a previous podcast as well. Oh, yeah. well, <laughs> listeners should definitely go check it out because yeah. it's it helps with that. But mm-hmm. I guess, I guess one caution I would say with them all is that you've got to take everything with a huge grain of salt mm, here. Mm. Well, uh, especially if you're a beginner and you've got no idea what these numbers mean. Yep. I think what I try and do with this podcast is for people to listen and they're not going to understand everything straight away. But if you keep on listening to the words, yep. it just becomes a little bit clearer and you've got a little bit more knowledge with which you can approach the market. That's it. it and you know what? It's the same for everyone. Mm. It's just, we've all gone through this process. Mm, mm. I always encourage people to just ask the why again and again. Mm. Too many things in our industry, many industries, they just get stated as fact. Yeah. But it's you've got to come at first principles here and, and sort of say, well, why is that a, 
a good number or a bad number? What does mm. that mean? What is mm. that telling me? And they're really basic questions. Mm. Mm. But people often feel as though, oh, it's a dumb question, you know, and it's almost like I shouldn't even question this. Yeah, there's a man in a fancy suit that's uh, <laughs> you know? talking to me about it and he knows what's he going on. He knows what's going on. And it's, yeah. it's just sort of all of them are useful heuristics. Mm. None of them will help you invest by themselves. Mm. I would never invest on the PE ratio alone or the dividend yield alone. Mm. I mean, I'd look at them, but I look at as many things as I can. So yeah, just stick with it and you'll, you'll find it less intimidating as you go on. So how do you like to use the PE to calculate a target price and intrinsic value? Ah, so <laughs> I'm a big fan of this. When, when you start going down the valuation route, you usually end up with what's called a discounted cash flow model. It's sort of the gold standard. Mm-hmm. And it actually comes back to, uh, it's a very big conversation, very deep conversation. It is, it is. Actually. But hang on, just let's start. Discounted cash flow means yeah. it's a cash flow that's discounted for inflation, against inflation. Well, it's sort it, of. It comes back to the, the principle is, is what is a company really worth? Mm, mm. That's a hard question. <laughs> I mean, you know, what is it? Especially when it changes so much all yeah, the time, up yeah. and down. <laughs> you know, some, some would, the efficient market hypothesis would argue that actually, no, that whatever the market is, that's what the company is worth because that's mm. what the market is saying it, it, mm. it's worth. But you can approach it from a more mathematical standpoint. And, and the, it's based on this idea that the value of a company is equal to the, all of the cash it will ever make. Mm. Mm. And the one adjustment we make to that is we... This is, it's in the name, we discount those future cash flows. So if a company is going to make $100 this year, that's good. If it's going to make also be making $100 in 10 years time, well, that's also good. But $100 in 10 years is worth less than $100 now. Hence the discount. And so you've got to flows. discount it back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's, it's brilliant and it's a, it, it's a wonderful intellectual framework. People will be listening to that going, yeah, but how... Do I know what a company is going to be earning next year, let alone the year after that, let alone mm. in 10 years time? Mm. How mm. far out do I go? Well, it's actually, it's, in, it's, it's the entirety of the company's existence. Is this company going to be around for 100 years or four years? It's easy to define, diabolically hard to calculate, but it's really, 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 really useful in terms of understanding what value means. And it's an alluring and a very rewarding, and I would encourage people to look into it. Where I'm going with all of this is that once you sort of go through all of that, I've found myself full circle. I started off not even caring about value. Is the shares going up or down? (laughs) That was about (laughs) the extent of my research. Then you start looking at PE ratios. Then you get into the more discounted cash flow stuff. And now I've come full circle back to PE ratios because I've learned that over time, it's the qualitative angles of a company that tend to be really important and they never fit into a formula. So qualitative, I mean, the quality of management, the type of business model, the industrial headwind, oh, sorry, the industry headwinds or tailwinds that the company, you know, all these things that kind of matter mm, instinctively mm. Yeah. a lot. So to answer your question, it's a long run up, sorry. That's no, okay. Yeah. Um, so let's go back to the formula. The PE equals the price over the earnings. Mm-hmm. If you remember your, your high school algebra, you can rearrange equations. So let's take the price part of that and solve for that. Mm. So, so when you rearrange the formula, PE equals price over earnings. Therefore, price equals the PE of a company times its earnings per share. Mm-hmm. So I can use this. If I have an estimate for what a company's per share earnings is going to be at a point in, the, in time, and I have an estimate for what the market, what PE the market will give that, by definition, I've got a target price. 
and then I can discount that back. Let's say that in my hypothetical company, I believe that in three years time, it'll have an EPS, an earnings per share of $1. And I believe that the market will value that at a 15 times PE at that point in time. Well, one times 15 is 15. Mm. The share price under my assumptions now they're just a, well, let's let's use it let's use the proper word. My guesses. <laughs> you sound smarter when you say forecasts, assumptions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're yeah, guesses. Yeah, they're guesses. They're yeah. all guesses. Yeah. Every time there's a forecast, every time you see an analyst forecast, when you see consensus, they're all guesses. <laughs> but, well, I forget who. So I'm going to forget who made this quote. But um, it's forecasting is the art of saying what will happen and then explaining why it didn't. And I've always <laughs> I've always thought that was really good. So anyway, in my hypothetical example, I got, well, I think the share price under these two assumptions will be 15 bucks. And by the way, if my assumptions are right, well, that by definition has to be the share price. So if today the share price is $15, well, that's a pretty ordinary deal. Mm. I'm going to buy it for 15 and wait three years and maybe sell it for 15 then. If it's $20, it doesn't make any sense. If it's $10... Now I've got a 50% upside. So it, it helps me sort of put that line in the sand. And the way the maths works is if, let's say you can work out an intrinsic value by also discounting that future price back. So let's say I want a 10% return. Mm. Buy my shares today. 10% per annum? Per annum. Yep. Per annum. Yep. And, and, and I, want, I want to uh, get that over the next three years. So I take my 15 and I divide that by one plus the return I want. So 1.1, I can't do this in my head, but 15 <laughs> divided by 1.1. Yeah, 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 the future value. And whatever that answer yeah. is, I'll divide that by 1.1 and mm-hmm. then I'll divide that by 1.1. I'll do it three times. Mm-hmm. The maths nerds out there, it's 1.1 to the to the end. <laughs> and there's a calculator online. There's a calculator yeah, online. I'll do this for you, yeah. But it's really elegant way of working out a target price. Mm. Now, the thing you've got to be hyper careful of here and the saying, whether whatever valuation methodology you're using, the saying is garbage in, garbage out. You might think they're going to earn a dollar a share. Maybe it's 20 mm-hmm. cents a share, in which case your intrinsic value calculation is rubbish. So how do you do this? And you are, you can't get around the fact that I've got to have a view on the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know it, That's investing, right? So this is where I, I think Ben Graham, Warren Buffett's mentor, said the three most important words in investing were margin of safety. And that is accounting for the chaotic, nature of the universe and how unpredictable everything is you don't want to base your investment on the idea of everything going perfectly in business is tough and business is messy Mm. and the best operators the best business and the best industry in the world and you're just going to have crappy years because unforeseen things happen so i might think it's going to earn a dollar per share but maybe maybe i should just assume 90 cents Mm. and i think 15 is reasonable uh, we can get to what you, numbers you might think are reasonable later, but maybe I'll just I'll knock that back a little bit as well. Now, the more I do that, the lower the real value is, well, as per my calculation, that will come out. Which, and obviously, lower the better, as mm. we said at the at the beginning with with PE. But if you do it too low, you might the market might not ever give you that chance. I would love to buy Woolies at one dollar a share <laughs> <laughs> because I've put the biggest margins of safety in that you can imagine. But the reality is I'm just never going to buy it because it's never going to get to that level. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that's but it's a it's a nice way of thinking. Don't price for perfection. These are just guesses. Put out your best guess. Adjust for the unknowns and the unknown unknowns. 
And it just helps you draw a line in the sand. And I think with valuation, people are too focused on coming up with a number. Mm. This Mm. is my valuation. Mm. And I try to encourage people to do it 10 times. Here's my bull case. I think, no, I think this, 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 they'll, they'll do much better than I, I, I've perhaps given them credit for. And the market will be in a much better mood. So you can test a variety of assumptions and you obviously get a variety of valuations. But that process will at least know what your spread of options are. Mm. And, and, and the spread of possible outcomes. The spread of possible outcomes. And then I can sort of use that to benchmark as the company progresses. So I, you know, on one scenario, I said they should be able to grow their earnings at 10% a year. Uh, they had a pretty ordinary, you know, maybe mm. maybe that was op- op- uh, optimistic of me. And mm. I can sort of course correct along the way. And um, it helps to have, you don't want to take your number too seriously. Yeah, yeah. But you don't want to just be buying on hope. Mm. Yeah, that's <laughs> you ne- right. You, yeah. need to op- you need something there to, to base your thesis on. Don't th- you? This yeah. is the problem with the with the analysts, I would say in the main, is that there's they get sucked into the allure of false specificity. Mm. It's, this, it's this false confidence that mathematics give you. I'm using very sophisticated maths and spreadsheets and just it makes you feel very confident so like when you see that view that says this stock is undervalued it's worth ten dollars and it's currently trading at six dollars except it'll be to 12 decimal places ten dollars point one two you know it's, it's a hyper specific it's like look, yeah. best it's around ten dollars <laughs> you know and, and so you've got to take it with a grain of salt and it, it it doesn't really matter to your investment returns. You may have calculated based on a desired 10% return. Mm. If in the fullness of time, it comes out at eight, nine, 10, 11, and directionally you're correct. You're yeah. never gonna lose any sleep. If this turns out to be HIH insurance or Enron or something like that, again, you know, what, what does it really matter that your evaluation mm. was? The end result was zero. And what it does is you've got to have a bridge between what the company itself is going to do and what that means to me as a shareholder. I'm a fundamentals-based investor. I'm not relying on what whims of the market are going to be Mm. to determine my share. It'll be the the operating performance of the business. Mm. And all of these techniques, all they do is they link the two. And I've always found it really appealing because at the end of the day, if a business performs well, the share price will generally follow. Mm. The caveat there is provided it was priced sensibly in the mm. first place. Mm. But but that's really what you what what you're trying to get at here. And it means that you cannot you can worry far less about all of this up and down daily volatility. And it's just now my focus is the business. If this wasn't listed um, and I was just a billionaire and I was gonna buy this thing outright. What, what would I want to know? How much money can I make out of this thing? Mm-hmm. Based on the cash flows I think this this economic machine can generate, what would I pay for that? And this is what does your head in a bit. It, it is entirely possible to do really badly in a really great company mm-hmm. if you pay too much. Mm. Um, I don't know. Let's pick a pick an example. CSL is a great company. Mm. It's one of the best on the ASX, I reckon. I don't own shares in it, by the way. It's a whole other story. I did and then didn't. <laughs> anyway... What's it worth a share at the moment? Jeez, I haven't looked for a while. Uh, two, $290 or something. Oh, I'll tell you a story. I bought it at 40 bucks. <laughs> Thought I was clever looking yeah. at a profit. That's a whole other lesson. But they, they haven't moved for a long time. They've been trading in this range. Well, it's, you know. 270 to 300 for a long time. Let's say the market's roughly right. Mm. Now, is it a good company? Yes. Will it be around in 10 years? I'd say so. Will mm. I be earning more money in 10 years time? I'd say so. Probably at a decent rate of growth. Mm. Would you pay $10,000 per share? 
Mm. I wouldn't <laughs> because even if the business, even if the business does incredibly well, mm. you're not going to get anyone who's prepared to pay that much of a premium down the track for you to, to, to do well. So that's, that's the, that's the first thing, no matter how wonderful a business you can overpay. And if you overpay, you can do badly. You can also do well in pretty bad businesses. Mm. Your the, the example from before, let's say that it was a, um, a company that was going to go for two or three years and then go bankrupt. Well, it's still going to make some money over those three years. Let's say on a discounted basis, it's going to make a million dollars. Well, I'd pay 500000 for it. Don't care that it doesn't. Look, I'm, I'm going to put out my internal rate of return, another, another calculation. I'm going to put out $500,000 on, on day one. Mm-hmm. And after three years, adjusting for the discount rate, I'm going to get a million dollars back. Mm. This is a business that just went bankrupt. It's great. So, so valuation matters. It does. It does. I, mean, I was talking to a friend the other day, and he was talking about three companies in his son's portfolio, and um, one of them was Wise Tech, another one was Zero, yep, and the third one, and I can't remember the name of it. Is it possibly Cardano? 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 Uh, anyway, whatever it is, you look at the three companies, and um, I can't remember the Wise Tech situation. Zero just burns through cash, yes. doesn't it? Yep. It just keeps on. People invest and that money just gets spent on marketing to, to get market share. Yep. And it's only in Australia and New Zealand. Whereas this other small company, is, which is a really good business, um, has got great numbers, great balance sheet in terms of it's got very little debt, you know, and is paying a, a fully frank dividend. And it's share Can't price. get arrested. It's share price. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. yeah. It can't get arrested. <laughs> Isn't that great though? This is why I like small caps because mm. they just, they sit under the radar for so they do. long. Yeah. yeah. Zero is an actually fascinating case. Um, the argument, as crazy as it sounds when you sort of say it like that, and I don't want to defend, I don't have shares in zero, but the rationale would be, the bulls would say is that Yes, there's a lot of money going out the door now, mm. but in the future, so much money is going to come back that it still justifies the price. You and I start a business today. We spend the next three years putting $100,000 into it. I mean, money's just going out the door. Mm. Mm. But in that three years, we build the next, I don't know, iPhone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we say, well, the, the next latest and greatest computer chip technology. Yeah, as, and, a, pair, as a pair of geniuses. As, as we are, you know, mm-hmm. it's only a matter of time. And, <laughs> and so- and then in five years' time, we, we've got you know a company worth billions. So it's sort of like anyone looking at that our company on year one, two, or three would go, "This is rubbish," mm. based on the cash flows alone. So this again, this is where it gets tricky. Now, whether the people are right or wrong with zero, well, that's for you to determine as an investor. Mm. But the market is implicitly saying, given the cash flow scenario, that no, we think that cash flow will come. It happened with Amazon. That's the archetypal scenario i mean jeff bezos famously just you know just bled cash for ages but then built one of the strongest moats in in the planet's history and and we all know what happened with amazon Mm, mm. but anyway i I, I digress but (laughs) this this is this is the thing that's can be frustrating but it's just the reality of it is that there's always i think we always want to here's a formula Put these numbers in. You'll find the numbers here on the balance sheet or the income statement. Yeah. And yeah. if it's below this, buy it. So that's what we want to think. And if it was that easy, um, well, we'd all be Warren Buffett. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's not. There's always the. Well, here's the formula. Here's the theory. But here's the buts. Here's the maybes. Here's the exceptions to the rule. Mm-hmm. And here's the it depends. And that's who I think is frustrating. It's frustrating for me. It's mm. frustrating for everyone. But, but Well, it's frustrating. But uh, what I want to point out to listeners is that you're taking your first look at the share market. You're going to get 
pulled in by stories, by yes. narratives. Analysts are going to be telling you stories. CEOs are going to be telling you stories. Yep. Your mates are saying, oh, I've invested in this company and it does blah, blah, blah. Yep. And you think, great, I want to invest in the cure for cancer yep. or the next big um, you know, technology company yeah. or whatever. Don't we all? Yeah, yeah, that's right. But it, it, it's, it's all like, narrative driven. It's it all is, narrative it's driven. It's all narrative driven. I just think it's important to understand that behind us is all this numbers swirling around, which you know, maybe you will never understand. Yeah, yeah. But but, but just don't be pulled in by the narrative. That's, just, you're trying to, I like to, I think I might've said this on the podcast last time mm. with you, is that I, I feel as though you want to think and act like a detective. Mm. There's, a, there's, there's a set of facts and stories out there and you want to build evidence. And in my toolkit, I've got a little bit of knowledge of how to use a few metrics. I've got a bit of knowledge of, how that industry works and what the business model is. And you never, ever, ever get to a situation where there's only positives. I mean, the Mm. best companies in the world have hairs on. There's things about them that you would prefer weren't there. Mm. Mm. Um, It's hard business business. (laughs) It is. It is. I mean, we we all love these things. And the thing is, if there ever was a perfect company, it would be priced so. Mm. In other words, you you might not even do that well out of it because the market is so hyper aware of its quality Mm. that it it is priced accordingly. But you're trying to build up a body of evidence, I suppose, where you can make a compelling story where you're not just dependent on on the the twos and fro's of the market again mm. it, it sounds so stupid but you, well not stupid but oversimplistic but it's not you've got to keep coming back to the basics here you are literally buying a part ownership in a business now i would wager that if you take anyone and you were to sort of say you know and they had the financial means to to buy businesses outright and you said do you want to buy my business they'd want to look at how much money do you make? Mm. Who are your customers? What do you mm. do? What are the competitors? Like all the things are just completely, like you wouldn't necessarily come to you straight off the top of your head. But once you sat down with your other half at the dinner table that night and saying, well, is this offer to buy a company? And, you know, you, you would, the questions would naturally come as to what, you know, how much, geez, how much debt do they have there? And, uh, mm. uh, you know, all, all of these kinds of things. It, 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 once it's on the share market, and we have this daily quoted price and these charts, all of that goes out the window. And all we care about is that everyone's gonna drive electric cars, so I'm buying lithium, because Gary at the pub last night said that that's the future. Mm, mm. And like, you would never buy a business like that. It's like, oh, it's okay, because I'm just buying $2,000 worth of shit. It's, it's pure madness. But so think like a business person and don't imagine, I was gonna say, imagine you're buying uh, um, a company. You are, you're literally buying, you're just buying it in, in small pieces. Think that way and you'll avoid a huge amount of error. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Are you confused about how to invest? LifeSherpa can ease the burden of having to decide for yourself. Head to lifesherpa.com.au to find out more. LifeSherpa, Australia's most affordable online financial advice. 
Okay, so the next metric we're going to talk about is return on equity, ROE. Mm. Okay, what's this all mean? <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, the good thing of all these ratios is that the name tells you what it is. It's the return relative to the equity. The equity is just the net assets. You get the balance sheet, you look at the total assets, and you minus that total minus from that total liabilities. What do I own? What do I owe? And anyone who's got a home loan knows exactly what equity is, right? And so I just, I again, back to this idea of all metrics are just trying to benchmark one aspect of a company to something else. And so it's basically saying, how much, how profitable is this business? How efficient is this business at taking its, its equity, its net assets and generating a profit? So again, it's, it's looking at it like a machine, isn't it? I, it they are economic machines. Yeah. I love that actually. I think I, they, are, they are economic engines. And some engines run really smooth and hot, and some are not, you know, in need of dire <laughs> maintenance. Spark plugs need yeah. a bit of clean, and <laughs> yeah. so, the injectors are a bit. And this is, this is one of the yeah. dials on your dashboard, right? Yeah. You've got a company, you make a million dollars a year, I make a million dollars a year. It just so happens that I'm making my million dollars a year with $10 million in assets. I had to go somehow scrape to raise it from shareholders or borrow money from the bank, debt or equity. I had to raise all $10 million buy a bunch of, I don't know what I do, let's say factory parts and warehouses mm -hmm. and stuff. And that investment I've got, a, I've made um, uh, $1 million. That's pretty good. You know, it's a 10% return on, on equity. Through some financial genius, you've managed to make that $1 million profit on $2 million of equity. You're a very capital light business. You don't need factory parts. You've just... You know, the, the Phil Muscatello is putting his IP out there and people are just snap me. You know, you, you basically pay for a web page or something like that. Now, we both made a million bucks, but which is the better business? <laughs> you know, yours is a much better business. It's much sweeter. Yeah. <laughs> so you've got, what'd they say? Five, what'd they say? Uh, $2 million. Mm -hmm. So your return on equity is 50%. Mm. This is also one that can't be too high. The higher, the better. I mean- at a point, you think, is that too good to be true? And you know, but but it is it is a measure of efficiency, the efficiency with which I can generate a dollar of profit. So how how can it be too high? Well, it can't be too high if it's sustainable. Because if it's uh, if it's available, someone else could take it up and do it as well, just let, as easily. Or? Let's let's say this. Let's say that I managed to generate a hundred percent return on equity. I've mm -hmm. got million dollars in net assets and I made a making a million dollars. You think that is fantastic. And this is why you've always got to dig behind the numbers. Mm. Maybe that year I sold off a massive segment of the business. So the statutory profit that year was huge, mm. but I've also sold half of my business. Mm. So it's is 100% return on equity good? Yeah. Can I do it next year? Not really. <laughs> no. I've sold half the business. <laughs> Um, and, and you've got to look at it the other. Sometimes you get abnormally low ones because there might be write downs or something that that impact it. That's why it gets a lot of grief, I think, from investors when companies report adjusted and normalized figures. And you should be not cynical, but skeptical mm. because there's a lot of shenanigans that goes on that companies always want to present the best story. At the same time, there is a legitimacy to looking at things from a normalized perspective. Maybe you don't want to take their word for what mm. normalized is and come up with your own estimate of it. So in that case, I might sort of say, well, my 
platform that I'm using or the numbers that I'm generating is 100%. But really, when I take off the one-off impact, this was the return on equity. Mm. So it can't be too high if it's sustained. If you can get 100%, you can do that every year. That's great. Mm. It's, mm. That's not too high. But I just mean that when you see a very high number, and really once you start seeing numbers above 20, 30, 40%, by the way, there's quite a number of companies that can consistently do that, mm. fantastic companies. Um, but you just, you want to just sort of see, ask that question, is it a sustainable return on equity? Yeah, what does this actual number mean? Yes. What's the number, what's behind those numbers? Yep. Okay. Yep. So how do you use return on equity then? So return on equity is a great way, it ties back to the PE ratio actually, because whether a PE is high or low, as I alluded to before, comes back to the kind of growth that it can generate. Very, very fast growing companies you can pay very high PEs for and still get a bargain. So what you do with return on equity is you can work out what a reasonable rate of growth is to expect. So let's go with Woolies because it's such an easy company to, everyone knows it. Mm, mm. So they've actually- What what does it do? (laughs) Woolies. They do very well for a grocery store. That's what I'll say. They do very well. Um, We can talk about... Actually, we should get into them from a PE perspective too. But we'll start off with return on equity. So their their return on equity is consistently above 20%. That Mm. is outstanding efficiency. Very, very well-run opera. And a mature business that's managed to do that consistently. So I I think that's pretty good. We also know that they pay out 70% of their profits as dividends. Mm. So this is where you get to the importance of, it's not just the return on equity that matters, it's the return on incremental equity. So uh, uh, let me go back a step. So they make whatever profit they make, 70% goes out the door to shareholders in cash. They don't have it anymore. The 30% that they've got, well, we know that, let's say that we're, we're assuming they can continue to get a 20% return on equity. So I can take that retention rate, in this case, 30%, times it by the return on equity, I'm going to get about 6%. And that's probably a sustainable rate of earnings growth without the use of them taking on a bunch of debt or something. I mean, you might have the best business in the world, but it, you know, it's the old saying, it takes money to make money. Don't, can't conjure it out of thin air. So they've decided that they'll keep 30% of their profit and they will reinvest that in the business. They'll open up a new supermarket. They'll put a new distribution center in, whatever it is. Oh, technology. I know that they've invested so much in technology and their warehousing as well. Yep. All for for efficiency Mm. reasons, right? To to deliver better value, hopefully to customers and then ultimately to to shareholders. So so if they're able to keep 30 cents in every dollar and if they're able to get a 20% return on that, and you add it all together, it's sort of like, that sounds about right, actually. It's historically what they've sort of, upper end of what they've done, but around 6% seems reasonable. Mm. What it means, though, is that, so how do I use it? Well, in that example- So that 6% is growth? No, the earnings per share growth that I could expect. If yep. Based on what they're keeping and based on the return they're going to get on that After equity, the dividends have gone out the door. Yep. yep. Yeah, you have to get into a bit of financial statement stuff because when you retain, retain profits is part of equity. Mm-hmm. In fact, another way, to, we've, I've defined equity as assets minus liabilities, which is 100% mathematically correct. But what is also equivalent and mathematically correct is to say it's the shareholder equity that was put into the business when it was started plus any retained profits. Mm-hmm. So if I'm retaining my money each year, that equity is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm. Let's have a look at Woolies, right? So Woolies, I 
let me just state for the record before anyone writes into you with a bunch of hate. Um, I think it's a great business, <laughs> right? It, it's a great business. Yep. It'll be around for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's hard to disrupt groceries. Mm-hmm. Um, some have tried like Milk Run and others, which is a whole other segue we could get into. But <clears throat> but they, they uh, look, uh, historically it's sort of been around 5%, which is outstanding for a very mature business, right? Mm. 5% earnings growth. Earnings, per share earnings growth. Mm-hmm. I'm going to assume that that's about true. And the ROE calculation we just did, kind of sanity checks that. So we said 6%. They've done historically 5%. Now, again, I've, I've got to guess at what the earnings, I've got to make a guess. You could suck your thumb and go, I reckon it's going to be 10%, but just because. Now, maybe you're right and maybe I'm wrong, but if I go at least, well, I reckon it's more mid single digits mm-hmm. based on these two things. At least I've got a bit of, again, that detective evidence sort of behind me. I also look at Woolies and I go, well, historically look over the last 10 years, there's ups and downs of the share price, but the PE tends to be around 18, 19. Mm. Uh, and again, that contrasts with the, the longer term average of the market of sort of 15, 16. It trades at a bit of a premium. And probably understandably so. Mm-hmm. Um, that's cool. So let's tie this all together. So let's say that I think that they're uh, well, they are earning a dollar thirty-six of the most most recent financial year. A dollar thirty-six per, per share. share. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Uh, so a lot more in in when you add it all up. But mm-hmm. per share, they're making about a dollar thirty-six. Incidentally, they're trading at a PE of. 30 something at the mm-hmm. moment. So very well priced. So what's that mean? It means that the market expects some pretty good things. Yeah. Now, yeah. market might be right. Your mm. job as an investor to see if it's right or at least see if you can build some conviction around that. Anyway, I'm going to I'm going to I just I just point that out there for put that out there just to sort of set the scene. But I'm going to say, and I just went to Comsec and looked at the consensus forecast here. Mm. And in 3 years time, the boffins reckon a dollar 60 per share. Mm-hmm. Take it with a big grain of salt, but just for the purposes of this, I'm going to assume a PE of 18. Now, maybe it's higher, but I, again, margin of safety. It's no one's going. I might be wrong, but no one's going to say I was reckless mm. by using that forecast because it's about the average for Woolies. Um, and if it's higher, who cares? It means my <laughs> return will be better than I'm calculating. So, a uh, dollar sixty times 18 gets me twenty-eight dollars eighty. That's what I think. It, well, if the sh- if the earnings per share are dollar sixty, if the PE is eighteen, the share price will mathematically guaranteed be twenty eight dollars eighty in three years time. Mm-hmm. Now I want to account for that in today's dollars, so maybe I'm going to discount that back. What what figure do I use? Well, I use the rate of return that you want. Mm-hmm. So given that they pay a pretty good dividend, pretty reliable one, let's, let's call it three percent. It's not at the moment; it's lo- less than that. But I'll assume I'll get a 3% dividend return. I want a 10% return as a share. That's just me. Mm-hmm. You could pick whatever number you want, but I think that's that's a pretty good line in the sand. So it means I want a 7% capital growth. So if I take $28.80 and, and discount it by 7% per year, so just 1.07, three times, I get $23.50. So I've just worked out an intrinsic value calculation for Woolworths. Mm-hmm. Now, is it right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, if my assumptions are right, it's absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, don't get caught up in the false specificity. What I look at here is I go, well, the markets, I'm just under those scenarios, it's going to continue to grow at a decent rate. It's going to trade at its long-term average PE. And that's 
I'm buying it for 3870 and I might be able to sell it for 2350 under these assumptions. That's a pretty bad deal, even for a wonderful mm, company. Mm, mm. Um, so the question is, the first thing you go is, huh, what am I missing here? And, and this is what does your head in because you it's very natural, especially, especially when you lack confidence and you're starting off is like, well, I'm wrong, the market's right. Actually, the market can be wrong all the time. Mm. And thank God for that, because that's, that's our stock and trade. You want the market to be wrong. So I'm not saying the share price of Woolies is going to crash. I don't say it can't go high. I could double from here. But I know that for me to do well as an investor, if I'm buying shares in Woolies today, um, maybe someone who knows the company intimately well, so, well, Andrew, what you're forgetting is this, 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 and this. And that's fine, right? Mm-hmm. You've answered the question. But those earnings per share have to be higher in three years' time, mm-hmm. or the market and or the market needs to be trading at a much higher multiple at that point in time for me to do well. So if I've got great confidence in those things, then fine, fine. If I don't, and I personally don't, not because I'm definitely not going to do, I just, investing is not, hope is not an investment strategy. I just feel as though this is an extraordinarily mature business. I mean, you can't, there's not many places where a Woolies doesn't exist where one could exist. There's only so much they can put their prices up each year you know um all of these kinds of things again great company but it just if 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 i had come up with a valuation that was 10 percent or 15 percent either side of the market price again don't fall into the false specificity probably it's quote unquote reasonable and fair at this point in time but i'm miles away from it so it just sits there on a watch list now one i don't know when phil but at some point the market will throw its toys out of the cot Mm -hmm. and you'll get it really cheap then buy it then Buy it then. And then there'll, there'll come a point where the market goes the other way, where it's sort of like you work out a valuation that's 30% higher than what the market's trading at. And again, what do I what do I mm. not see that the market sees? And maybe the market's just wrong, or it's being too myopic and too short-term, fo- which is usually the way. They're like, oh, it's going to be a bad quarter, and everyone sells off, not realizing this thing will last for another 50 years. <laughs> it's more about how it performs in aggregate. But that's a lot of detail to do verbally. So I hope I haven't yeah, lost yeah, no, anyone. No, okay. But but it's 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 just keep listening. <laughs> I'm not going to understand everything. The idea. I mean, I'll I'll try and I'll try and tie it all up to make it easier. Here. I've done two things with return on equity and PE mm-hmm. to work out if in this case Woolies is good or not. I've looked at the return on equity to see what kind of how efficient they can take their equity and turn it into profit. And I've just looked at well, you know, twenty. All of a sudden, I know that it's this is a good business, or at least historically has been a good business because I've seen that history of high 20% plus return. Great, tick. That's one of the ticks on my detective Mm. list. But it also means that, again, through that calculation, I think sort of mid-single-digit growth is about what they'll do. Sanity check, what have they done in the past? Yeah, about that. Tick, that seems pretty reasonable too. Then I've just taken the per share earnings and I've multiplied it by 1.063 times to get a (laughs) forecast of earnings per share. Anyone can do this, right? Mm. Do it on your phone. And then I've just picked a out of thin air, a PE that I think is reasonable. We can argue it if that's reasonable. But again, this is the beauty. You can do the numbers that you think are right. And I've said 18 because it's about the long-term average. If I wanted to be more conservative, I could lower it. If I wanted to be more ambitious, I could increase. But I've done that. And all of a sudden, I've now got a target price for where I think Woolies could be in three years. And the final step is I just discount it back by the rate of return I want. And I've now got a line in the sand. Now, as I said before, do a few, see where the spread lies. But but I've no longer just bought the company because, quote unquote, they're a good company. Mm, I've, mm. I've bought got a, a bit more reason to do it. Yeah, I've drawn, I've taken a view of business performance and I've translated that back to value. Mm. 
Um, and it's, it's, it's always going to be wrong because you can't forecast perfectly. And also you and I might have the exact same inputs, but we could still come up with different valuations because you're a different person with different experiences and different life circumstances. I've said, I'm discounting it back at 7%. You might go, well, no, I'm, I'm a pretty high octane investor. I want only the, I want a 12% annual return. Mm. So even with the same numbers, except for that last one, we'll come up with very different valuation. Now who's right? Actually, neither of us is wrong. Mm. You're right in your context. I'm right in my context. You just need a bigger discount for you and to buy shares. And the truth will re- reveal itself in three sure. years' time. And, 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 and you, in, your, in your framework, the way I've laid it out, if you buy it and you get you know, 8% return, mm. well, relative to your desired rate of return, it's a bit of a miss, right? Relative to me, it's actually not too much of a miss. So, you know, it's, it's, it's just about what you want and and how it relates to you this is the this is the nice thing about the market right mm. is is that you you often look at things why is that happening why are people selling and you've got to remember that people are acting under all kinds of different incentive schemes and situations the shares have gone down two percent today the natural reaction is oh my gosh it's a disaster well maybe they got reweighted in an index and some of the um etfs are readjusting uh, maybe one of the big substantial shareholders has gotten in trouble and needs to liquidate there. There's a bunch of plausible reasons as to why something can happen. Yeah, that it's going to affect the price. It's going to affect the price. Yeah, it doesn't have anything to do with the business. Does it have anything to... Or maybe it's even something more fundamental where Woolies latest sales results are disappointing. Analysts had expected 5.8% sales growth that came in at 5.2. Now, anyone listening to that go, what's a big deal? But for analysts, they will because they're they plugging, will lose plugging their... these numbers into a spreadsheet. Oh my they? gosh! It's, oh, it's a disaster! Oh, sell recommendation! Boom, 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 boom! And everyone, falls. oh, now it's a good sales result, and bang, we all pile back in, and it's madness. Mm. But that's what's going on. If you can sort of rise above the chaos, and like when you're, I don't know anyone who rides a motorcycle. So the idea is, is you keep your eyes on the horizon. You don't, you don't look at right in front of you when you're driving a bike, and that's the same with investing. Look out beyond that. Any business is going to have good years, bad years. And it's not It's not about trying to have this hyper-specific forecast like analysts do is what's this company's per share earnings going to be at the next half year result? And, you know, it's more about is this something that over the fullness of time is going to generate an attractive return on equity that is available at an attractive enough price that allows for a decent return while all accounting for the vicissitudes and, and volatility of market and business mm. and life. And it's, it's, it's about being, one of my favorite sayings, it's about being generally right as opposed to specifically wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah. It's interesting that you talk about um, when the market throws its toys out of the cot. And a recent guest said to me, and it's something that's really stuck with me, is that earnings are far less volatile than share prices. Oh, yes. Which is a really interesting way of looking at it, isn't it? That even though um, the market might be going through one of those periods that we all <laughs> we all know, yep. um, the earnings are not going to be affected that much. There's, um, there's a gentleman called Peter Thornhill. He wrote a book years ago called Motivated Money. It's more a pamphlet than a book, not mm. to be critical. It's just very high signal. But, but he, that's called the core point I think he's making there, which is, and, and, this, and Buffett makes this point too, is if the earnings per share drive continually higher, it's a wonderful win to have at your back. Again, ex- excluding the example of where you overpay ridiculous amounts, that is always going to work out 
pretty well for you. And when animals' spirits are running hot, we will go above that that earnings per share line. And when things are really in the doldrums, we'll fall well below it. The funny thing is, is that we always say, I can't wait for the next market crash because I'm going to back up the truck. And then it happens. And then we go, oh, it's really scary. I'm just going to wait for it to get better. Mm. Oh, actually, here's, here's my favorite analogy for what you've just described. Um, I'm not going to attribute it to the right person because I've gone blank. But a US fund manager gave the example of walking a dog. And there's a man and I'll, I'll, I'll make it an Australian example. He starts at Central Station in Sydney and he's walking to Circular Quay and he's got this crazy dog and he's got this very long leash. Now he's walking from Central to Circular Quay. Straight up Pitt Street. Six kilometers yep. an hour, just walking. That's what he's going to do. The dog is going to be going off and sniffing that pole and you know racing after that uh, possum or whatever it happens to be, but it's darting all over the place. Now, logically, you know, if you ask where's the dog going, well, the dog's going to Circular Quay as well. He's on a, he's on a leash. Mm. But what what a lo- most people do in the market is they focus on the dog and they're trying to guess where the dog is going by looking at where he's scurrying off to along the way. Whereas the true investors look at the man mm. and the man is the earnings per share. The dog is the share price <laughs> and they, they can differ. So, so maybe the man walks ahead for a bit and the dog decides to bolt back 20 yards or something to sniff another dog's backside, whatever it happens to be. Now you're watching that and you think, oh, the dog's now going that way. Oh, now that, well, I'm going to extrapolate from there. It's like, no, watch the man, watch the long-term earnings trajectory. That is the bedrock and anchor of all investing. I think if you can get that right, and again, generally right, you're going to do pretty well. Some of the well. time. <laughs> so, and again, some of the time, right? Mm, not going to um, get every call right, are you? Yeah. Well, but that's the, the thing is, is that frustrating thing about investing is that you can make money by doing dumb things and you can get punished for doing smart things. And it's, 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 just, <laughs> it's just how it is. The, the, to help you work out that, have I made a mistake or not? You haven't made a mistake because the share price has gone down. You've made a mistake because the company isn't performing in the manner that you expected. That's a different story. In other words, you thought the man was heading to Circular Key. Turns out, no, he's going to head off to Redfern. <laughs> in which case, you know, it's completely different. Mm. Focus on the man, not the dog. And you prefer to hunt small game, don't you? Yeah, I yeah. Much, much prefer it. <laughs> so I, that, that brings me around to straw man. And I'm just winding this up by just um, introducing that um, if people want to land on Planet Andrew, <laughs> it's um, straw man, uh, baby giants podcast, yep. uh, Motley Fool Money podcast, Ozbiz, I think. Sometime. Yeah, a bit of Ozbiz. Yeah. 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 yeah Strawman.com. We're, we're a private online investment club. Um, we're pretty small. We've pretty got, exclusive. Yeah. We get in twice a year. Well, it sounds really snobby, but it's we figured out that we only want the people who want to be there, and we only want the people who are pretty serious. So we we charge a pretty good premium for it. We've got about six hundred paid members, but you can open a free account if you want to muck around and paper trade the market. We got a little portfolio tool there and some play money, and you can trade the market and stuff. And that, that's we've got about twenty thousand people who who do that. But yeah, come come and check us out and you'll find us there. But but we do tend to focus on small caps. Yeah, yeah. And the reason that we do, I think, and it's not mandated, but that's where the members have sort of gravitated to and that's where I gravitate to, is that they a lot of people stay away from them um, because they're quote unquote risky. And I think as a general rule, that's true. Smaller companies, you're more likely to be unprofitable. More, yeah, they're in a growth phase. They're an earlier stage. of It's not bad to be unprofitable. Mm. All businesses are unprofitable at the beginning. 
but there's a lot of risk in, in that space. What people don't realize is that there's actually a lot of really great businesses in there that very profitable, pay a dividend, been through all kinds of cycles. Been around for, I mean, I know one particular company was over a hundred years, you know, and yeah. just a tiny one, a big, what, big river industries. Okay. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. For, as an example. No one yeah. would have heard of it, right? Yeah. And, this is and, not a recommendation to buy, by the way. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it, it's, it's, it, they, are they more volatile? Yes, they are. But volatility is not risk. Risk mm. is, is the chance of permanent loss of capital. Volatility to the true investor is a gift from heaven. Mm. You know, if you want to buy things cheap, you need that volatility. You need the stomach to sort of sit through all of that. And the other challenge with small cap investing is that liquidity is not always there. There is, I've got a stock that might trade five or $6,000 on the ASX a day. So it takes a while to build up a good position. Mm. And if anything was to go pear-shaped, it'd be very hard to get out quickly. It's a bit of a lobster trap. <laughs> but you, you have a lot of clear water because the fundies don't go there. The brokers don't go there. And they don't go there because, well, if, if you've got $100 million that you're managing, there's just not enough shares on market for you to take a position. Doesn't You might love the business. You can't do it. Now, that, that takes away a big part of the competition. So now it's me and a bunch of other punters on there. So I don't have to be the smartest person in the world, but I don't want to compete against the Harvard-educated MIT guy at, you know, mm. uh, UBS that has a team of 400. And, you know, that, that's, that's hard. This is the... Um, the lower grades, so to speak, but with incredible opportunity there. And so, yeah, anyway, I, I, I like the small cap space. There's only a couple of LICs that you'd really be competing about in the, yeah. the bigger end of town, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. There's, there's companies on there. Like I've got a company at the moment, it's only $12 million in total. The mm. market cap is $12 million. They're doing about $110 million in sales, right? <laughs> They're on track to launch a dividend next year. No one goes near it, right? It's just too illiquid. It's too hard. It's too under the radar. It's too small. But and it's I'll be still ultimately a good business. Isn't I think it? it's look. If I was again a billionaire and someone said, "Hey, would you be interested in this business at this price?" And yeah. The, the 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 challenge with it is is that you again aside from the volatility, you have to be a very patient investor. Mm. These are all the overnight success. I hope that's ten years in the making. Mm. You know, it's like. If they continue to do half as well as I think they will, in three or five years' time, the market will discover them. Mm. The liquidity will come. And not only do you get the push in the earnings part, but remember the PE ratio, right? The price equals earnings per share times the, the, the PE. There's so, going to be a point where people are going to go, well... <laughs> there's two points. You get, you get, you get the, the per share earnings growth that you hopefully envisage for the business, but you get the point where it goes from a PE of six to a PE of 20, as the market cottons onto it. So you get this leveraged gain, but it just takes years. So I've done okay, but some of my best investments have, have been ones that did nothing for two years. And that's hard psychologically, mm. but that's the price of being early. And it's nothing wrong with being early if the gains are big enough, right? And it's all right. If I buy at a dollar and sell at $5 over five years, and the share price didn't really move until year four. You, what you feels like you get this massive gain on the final year, but on an average basis, it still works out really well. Anyway, I could go on all day about small caps, but I, <laughs> I, I, I think I think they are unfairly tarnished by others that just sort of dismiss them as too volatile and too risky. Even though that's generally true, there are plenty of diamonds in the rough, mm. and you get to invest in them. With, with far less competition. <laughs> 
Andrew Page. It's been great chatting with you again. Thanks, Phil. I think we've got at least three episodes out of this one. Yeah, probably. (laughs) (laughs) You know know you're going to get a lot. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Shares for Beginners. You can find more at sharesforbeginners.com. If you enjoy listening, please take a moment to rate or review in your podcast player or tell a friend who might want to learn more about investing for their future. 